That's a question. Usually requires an answer. Sleepy? Who said sleepy? You just finished a weekend. You had all this time to sleep. Why would you be sleepy? How many of you spent the whole weekend doing homework? That's what I thought. How many of you spent the weekend getting porta potties out of construction sites and breaking the law and put it in the back of Carson's truck? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Very good. Well, Richard did a phenomenal job this morning kind of bringing us uh, somewhat to a wrap-up of Radical. We'll actually do one for Sunday school next Sunday. But uh, I guess the question that, that, that has plagued my mind recently is how many of us in the church really read through the book? Um, and the reality of it is, is that particularly when speaking to the youth, I know that most of you didn't. Uh, and that's okay because you've got tons of school assignments, uh, you've got tons of fun to be had on the weekends and things of the sort. But the one preface I would say to all that is don't complain about the book if you haven't read it because there are people in the church that have read it three or four times through struggling and wrestling with this thing. Um, and I commend them because where they disagreed with plot, where they, where they agreed, where they loved it, where they hated it, they at least dug into it. And the reality of it is, is that the Bible is much the same way. One of the things I love about Plot's book, and I'm not equating Plot's book with the Bible, don't get me wrong. Now, there's one inspired word of God, and that's it. But I think our church's attitude towards the book of Radical really was kind of symptomatic of our church's attitude towards the Bible. And we, you know, we, in theory, I don't think anybody would come to this church Sunday after Sunday and say that we shouldn't read the Bible or that we disagree with the Bible. The reality of it is, as Christians, most of us would stand up and profess that we believe the Word of God. But the reality of it is, is and, and, and one of the things that I love about David Plot, maybe it's because I see a lot of myself in, in the way David Plot writes. I'm kind of in-your-face kind of guy as well. And I'm kind of a black-and-white kind of guy. I'm not, a lot, I'm not a feeler. I'm a thinker, you know. Um, Kim's a feeler. And so Kim, Kim's life is lived out with her feelings driving her. It's one of the reasons I married her. Uh, I'm a thinker. I'm not. To me, things are black and white. We were talking about this last night. Kim and I were after our date. We were talking about how when we were in high school, you know, how we dealt with things or when we were kids because we were talking about our boys or something. And she was saying, you know, you know how it is with girls in, in, in elementary school, junior high, high school, uh, you know, we'd get in fights all the time. We, you know, and, and you get grudges and you, you, you know, you do this, you throw hints at each other and you, you know, you get mad and so you don't talk to them. Now. And I'm just sitting there and I was just like, no, I, I don't remember. I don't get it. Maybe that's, I, th I think that's twofold why, reasons why. One, because I'm a thinker. To me, if, if you, if you're going to betray our friendship, then there is no friendship. And so I just move on. 
And, and that's to a fault many times in my life. There are probably many friends along the way that I, or friendships along the way that have been lost because I was just too black or white. You know, if you're not going to invest in the friendship, then I'm not wasting my time. And it's, it's, it's not going to affect me one iota to just walk away because I'm a thinker. Uh, but partially that's true because I'm a guy too. And guys, girls, this is, you know, just a little insight for when you start dating and when you get married. Guys, we don't deal with things that way. If, if a guy, another guy, one of my friends, you, many of you have met the guys I roomed with in college. You've met Bradley Graham, who's led worship for us several times at camp and midwinter retreats. You've met, uh, met Kyle Goldsmith, who played drums in our band, lived with us in college. He was the redheaded guy that spoke at camp one year, remember? He was the guy who told the story of being thrown in the dumpster uh, at the grocery store. Uh, you've met Britt and Brian and those guys. Um, when we would get in arguments in college or we would, you know, go after the same girl or something like that, the way guys deal with that is they just, they just, well, in college it was in our living room or in a yard or whatever, and you just duke it out. And you just beat the pulp out of each other. You get a good beating on, and then when you're done, you just move on. And it really doesn't matter who won or who lost. You just get all that aggression out. You just get it out, and then you're good. Um, and so we don't understand this whole, well, so-and-so said this, so I'm not talking to them. And, and they can just go do this, and I'll see. We don't understand that. So Kim and I were talking. She's a feeler. I'm a thinker. And I love that David Platt in, in his writing style because he's kind of a take-it-or-leave-it kind of guy. Maybe it rings, resonates is the word I'm looking for. Maybe it resonates with me because that's the way I am. But in a lot of ways, our attitude towards that book is reflective of our church's attitude towards the Word of God. And up here we would say that this is the Word of God, that we must believe it, we must read it, we must memorize it, yada, yada, yada. But in action, the reality of it is, is that most of us don't believe it. Because if we really believed that this was the Word of God, as it says, able to penetrate the heart, able to penetrate to the depths of who we are, able to be a light into my path, or a, yeah, a light into my path. If we really believe this, is, this was the Word of God and that those who meditated on it day and night would be like those planted by a river and, and who's, who's, who would bear fruit in every season, and everything they do, they would prosper, as Psalms 1 says. If we really believed that this was the Word of God and that, um, that it bared so much power that, that like Jesus prophesies through John in Revelation about the book of Revelation, but it can be applied to the whole Word of God that it is complete and that anybody that adds to or takes away from it, watch out. If we really believe this was life-transforming, powerful Word of God, then people wouldn't be able to keep us from it. really. Had a youth this morning tell me that they were, went to go see the Justin Bieber movie yesterday. And in their excitement and chaos, they were running up the stairs in the theater and tripped and fell on their face in front of everybody. I'm not going to mention names like Olivia or anything, but, um, <laughs> or that, you know, cousins were running after them and did the same thing, you know. But, um, huh? I know, I didn't mention that. I said, I'm not going to mention those things. But if you're feeling convicted about something, thanks for sharing that with us. <laughs> <No>. um, 
No, I, you know, I, I, look at, I look at things like this, like, uh, like our fanaticism as Americans. We buy into the stupidest things and for so little. Uh, really, the matter of the fact is we need very little to motivate us into buying into things. You know, I've, I've told you about my, my opinion of Tom's shoes and, and how they've exploded, and, that, and that's really interesting to me. Um, or, or little things like that that just take off. And we as Americans just buy into them hook, line, and sinker. You know, everybody needs the new, newest, latest gadget, like Richard was saying this morning. You know, uh, as if iPads weren't, weren't extravagant enough, they're already coming out with iPad 2, you know. And people are already starting to sell their old iPads so that they can start making money so they can go buy the iPad 2. And, and uh, Justin Bieber, you know, you look at all these teeny boppers out there that are just falling in love with the, uh, the aura that is this guy. And, and trust me, I, I, from the little bit that I know about the music industry, which is very little, uh, very, very little, Justin Bieber is just a teenager. 90% of the aura of persona of Justin Bieber is just a publicity stunt. It's a bunch of marketers that have dressed him, cut his hair, told him what to say, what to wear. 90% of his songs are written for him. He's rehearsed. Every dance move is not him. He's not a good dancer. He's got choreographers that work with him 24-7 until he gets it right. And there's a manager that walks around everywhere he goes. There's a whole team of people, marketers, agents, that, that, that are the cloud. <laughs> you know the commercials. The cloud, to the cloud. Justin Bieber has a cloud. And what you see in the persona of Justin Bieber is not that teenage boy. It is a marketing, publicity, music industry team that has created this thing that is presented to you as Justin Bieber. Behind all that, he's still a pimple-faced, prepubescent boy who doesn't know, you know, who's still contemplating his own navel. (laughs) And girls go crazy. And adults, you don't get out of this either because there was this thing called the Beatles. And I'm sorry, the Beatles were, were just four random musician guys. They were. Their music... Do what? Elvis was different. Yeah, okay. You know, the Beatles songs are not complicated at all as for musicians, you know, but they, they demanded this, or they had this following, you know, girls passing out and stuff, and it's just ridiculous, so anyways, uh, or another good one, Lady Gaga, watching Good Morning America the other day, and Lady Gaga was going to be in New York, and there were people from Australia that had slept out in front of the studios in New York on the street for 72 hours, hoping that as Lady, we're not talking teenagers now, we're talking adults my age, 30-year-olds, hoping that Lady Gaga, as she walked in and out of the studios, would pass by them in her condom outfit. You know, if y'all watched it, she was wearing a condom outfit for Safe Six uh, thing on Good Morning America this last week. A latex dress that was supposed to represent a condom. And they spent three days sleeping out there just hoping to see her in person as she walked by. Listen, to the people that follow those musicians and those artists, their attitude and their drive and desire is not crazy, it's just misplaced. 
people, what that's called is worship. They educate us, or they should educate us as a church on what worship is all about. Worship is utter devotion, surrender, even chaotic at times for the object of our affection. And yet, for some reason, as a church, when it comes to worshiping the Creator, the thing or the person that deserves more worship than anything else out there, we, we feel the need to taper our worship and control it. If you really believed that this word had power to transform your life, if you really believed that this was the words of God himself, how many of you in this room have prayed that God would just reveal his will to you, yet you have never spent quality time three days sleeping and eating with your Bible open, waiting to see what God's word for you is. We call those people lunatics. Crazy, it's easy to make fun of them. But they worship something. What do you worship? What do we as a church worship? If we believe that this carried the word of God... Would, would it not then hold so much value to us that, that disciplines like fasting or reading the Word would not be things we have to teach in the church? We would have to be, to be encouraging our members to, to go eat, to go to work, to go do this, that, and the other, and, and, and to you know, slow down. The Bible will still be there tomorrow. I, I was incredibly convicted as David Plott spoke of the church leaders in the, uh, in the country where the church was persecuted, where he came and met with them. If you're reading the book, he calls it a puddle of tears at the beginning of the book. And, and all these people are coming from all over the country to spend time with this American preacher to teach them the word of God. And, and they're just weeping in their prayers. And they stay there for days just letting David teach the Word. They're that hungry. They're that desperate for the Word of God. And, and I hold two Bibles here today, one which was left there since last Sunday, and one which was left in the pew over there since the Sunday before that, which is okay because I've got five or six Bibles. But, but to me, it's just... I've got five or six Bibles because I'm afraid I'm going to lose one, so that way I've got one everywhere I might need it, right? But if it were really that important to me, then I would carry it with me, or even better yet, I would read it so much that I would know this by memory. My son Max inherited his mother's genes, and Max can hear a song once, and he knows it by memory. And I'll catch him walking around the house all the time just singing songs. He, he can sing commercial jingles, that, that he's never actually sat down and watched. He'll be out jumping on the trampoline and he'll walk through the living room to go get a glass of water and walk back out to the trampoline. And then later that night when he's in the bath, I'll hear him singing a commercial that was playing while he was walking through the room. Verbatim. And you guys, all of us in here say, well, I, I'm not good at memorizing the word or whatever, but the reality of it is, is all of you in here memorize stuff on a daily basis. 
You memorize phone numbers. You memorize names. You memorize places. You memorize songs. Most of the, you know, if I started singing a secular song, I bet all of you could just sing it with me. California girls are. No, I can hear you all. Daisy Dukes, bikinis on. Yeah. I know this because when we were going to Schlitterbahn, we pull into the church, and, and it was Kyle and I and our interns, James and Allison, and we're pulling into the church in Austin where we're going to be staying, and we got the radio on, and this song comes on, and, and the four of us are appalled at the lyrics of the song. We're sitting there going, what? You know, talk about funny. These college students are acting like me. You know, they're all old, and they're like, what kind of garbage is this? You know, because the song is just filthy when you really stop and think about the words, you know. Uh, it's just a disgusting song. And we pull in, and, and the car, a car, next car that pulls up, I'm not going to say who was driving it, but they were doing the same thing we were doing. They had the only radio station that isn't like country, Hick, Tejano or something, uh, going into Austin playing. And, and out pile dozens of you junior hires, and, and out they come. California girls are under the whoa, whoa. And I went up, and I'm not going to mention names, but I went to one of y'all, and I was like, you realize what you're singing? Yeah, this song is playing right now. Okay, well, sing it for me. Okay. And start singing. And get to the whole part about sex on the beach or in the Jeep. Thanks for correcting me there. <laughs> Making my point. And so this person starts singing the song to me, and they're like, uh, 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 uh. And it's like when they're singing it to their youth pastor, suddenly he's like, oh. You know, suddenly it goes from jumping out of the car, singing it, whoa! <laughs> you guys memorize stuff all the time. I hear you quoting lines to TV shows and movies all the time. But we're not, we're not as passionate about this. We're just not. Here's what Ecclesiastes 5 says. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty with your heart. Do not utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you to sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. You know, what, what, what would church be like if when Richard gets up on Sunday mornings and begins to preach and he reads the word 
What would it be like if we really, 500 of us plus in the room, really realized that it's not just Richard speaking, but when he reads the word, it is God speaking to us. There's this old Methodist tradition that when the word was read, the people would say, we don't know. The pastor would finish reading the word and he'd say, this is the word of God. The people would say, thanks be to God. One day, long ago, that wasn't tradition. One day, long ago, for one generation, a preacher was preaching one day and he said, this is the word of God. And somebody out there said, thanks be to God. And it carried on. It picked up and it became tradition. But, but, but for that first generation, it was someone who was hearing the word of God and they acknowledged, as Ecclesiastes said, they stood in awe of God. That God, who, who created all that is, that sent his son to die, who rose him into heaven again, thanks be to him, via his Holy Spirit, who dwelt within the man that was bringing the sermon that morning, as he read the word, they understood the gravity of what was happening. They stood in awe of God, that as a man anointed by God read the word of God over them, that it was God who was, according to his word, because two or more were gathered there, he was there, that God was in their presence, and God was speaking to them, and it moved them, they were such in awe of God, that it moved them to saying, thanks be to God, that His word is still alive today. That Jesus didn't die, rise from the cross, go up into heaven and leave us here on earth to just go about our business doing stuff for the kingdom of God. But rather that God left so that he could send the Holy Spirit and thanks to the Holy Spirit, every time we come together as Christians to worship him, to hear from his word, the Holy Spirit, God himself is in our presence. He's in our midst. And when we read the word of God, God speaks to to his people. God is not a God that demands a bunch of works for us to please him, that we must go through these works so that one day we can spend eternity with him. God spends eternity with us today. God is in our midst. God is here. And as we read the Bible, God is speaking to you and to me. And, and somewhere along the way, we've lost the awe of the fact that God is in this room and he's speaking to us. And so instead of us saying, thanks be to God, not even out of tradition, we just snore through it and move on. I pray a prayer like this almost every Sunday morning. I get up here to do announcements or something. God, let us leave here being changed, having had an encounter with you. What would life be like if when we walked out these doors, we truly realized that God had been in our midst and God had spoken to us? What if on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, when we opened up the word and we read the word, we realized that God has just spoken to us and we stood in awe of God. We realized the gravity that what I'm reading is God himself speaking to me. And then as I went out through that day, you know, as as trials and tribulations came, as temptations came, I would be standing in awe of the God that I just spent time with. We don't do a devotion out of religious 
uh, attitude to gain favor to one day go into heaven with God. We have quiet times because hopefully you and I are having quiet times because we're spending time with the living God. And he's speaking to us out of his living word. Then it would change our day. But most of us, like most other religions, we view these things, we even use words, I hate the word discipline. Because because every other religion has disciplines that are required of its followers to achieve the favor of God. You and I don't need to achieve favor of God. We can do nothing to earn it. God has given it to us freely. We have the privilege of walking in a relationship with our God. A quiet time should not be a discipline. It should be our life-sustaining breath. We should stand in awe of who God is. When we read this book, we we should be reading it and begging God to reveal himself to us. And students, you might be sitting here saying, well, I read it and I just don't understand it. Well, if you really desire to understand it, there are adults who are here week after week after week. How many of you are going and pulling out the Bible and going, Mr. Green, I'm reading this and I don't understand what it means. Explain it to me. How many of you are that desperate for the Word of God? And some of you are. I love it. I love it. I love it when some of you, you know, Ashton Overbeck comes to me again and again and again. Okay, 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 right? I was reading this portion of scripture. What does it mean? And we don't always have the answers. Most of the time I say, I'll get back to you on that one. But that's desperation for the word of God. If you don't understand it, don't give up. Be desperate for God. Stand in awe of who he is. On Sunday mornings, for for four years now, we've been going through a curriculum that teaches you how to study the word of God. And for four years, I have yet to have a student in high school ask me for notes or ask me for access to the curriculum the teachers are teaching so that they can study ahead for the lesson that week. You know who asks me for those notes? The college students. When they don't have someone spoon-feeding them the Word of God anymore, then they come and they ask me, hey, can I have notes for this? Can I have notes for that? Can I get your notes for this? Because suddenly they begin to become desperate because it's not there being spoon-fed for them. Just like the people out there in the persecuted nations, our college students get into college, which is a whole new world, and then they realize that this is living Word of God. Then they begin to stand in awe when it's not so easily available to them. And then they begin to ask, Why, wait, how do I do this? How do I study the Word? The, the problem is they're hundreds of miles away. Don't be that student. Don't be that adult. Don't be that adult that retires and then can dedicate more time to the church and starts reading through the Bible and then suddenly discovers this life that God is and realize that for the first 60 years of your life you were following the American dream and now that you have just a few decades left to live, that's all you got left to live and you just missed out on on six decades prior that you could have been walking in a relationship with this living God, transforming the world around you. 
standing in awe of who he is. Right? Or are we that comfortable in our home? That Wednesday night you can come here and Jeff's going to preach you some message again. And then next Sunday, Richard's going to get up here and he'll preach from the Word of God again. And so you have no need whatsoever to really pull this thing out, to bring it on Sundays, to underline, to ask, ask each teacher because we, trade, we change your teachers every year. And instead of saying, well, I don't get stickers from this teacher, you start saying, what is your teaching style? Let me learn how you study the word. And then the next year when you go to new teachers, say, are you going to give us stickers? No, you say, okay, this is how they study the word. How do you do it? How do you prepare when you study? So that you're learning how different people are reading the word of God and, and God is speaking to them. And so you're, you're taking advantage of the wealth of those who've gone before and saying, how do I get the most out of this? Trust me, there are adults in this room that for the first time in their life, they're beginning to discover how powerful this is. And one of these days, they're going to stand up in front of you and tell you their testimony, but they're not ready to talk about what they're going through right now. But there are adults in this room that are, that are learning to have to hold on to this for their very life because everything else is falling apart around them. And the only thing they have to hold on to is this. And they're discovering that when they desperately long for this, that this becomes alive and begins to breathe life. Temptations and circumstances that they've dealt with for 17, 20, 30 years they're starting to have victory in because they're relying on this for the first time in their life. This and nothing else. This above all else. This isn't a book. This is the life-giving word of our God. I don't want to hear people saying, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. Ask him now. See what the word says now. I don't want to hear people saying, I'm struggling with this. I'm going to start saying, have you gone to the word yet? As we begin to wrap up the radical study, one of our first challenges is to read through this in a year. And I know many of you didn't read the book Radical, but I'm going to issue that challenge to you. There are very few Bibles out on the market today that in the back don't have a read through the Bible in a year plan. And if yours doesn't, like Richard said this morning, you could go on Google and type it in and there'll be probably a hundred plans on how you could read through the Bible in a year. Most of you read through several books in a year. Those of you who don't need to start reading. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not proposing you go read other books. I'm proposing you start reading the Word of God. Because there are very few books that I read in my life. 
I'm not, I'm not telling you to practice what I, or to listen to what I'm preaching that I don't practice, no. But, but you should be reading this. Not out of discipline, not out of religion, not, not because a quiet time makes you a good Christian. You should be reading this because it's, it's the living, acting, active word of God. God himself speaks through this. And when we take this and we apply it to our life, meaning we walk into, into situations, me, meaning the next time you see that guy or girl that just tickles your fancy and flutters your little feathers on the inside and you get that puppy love and you're just like, oh, if I could just date them. And then you realize they're not Christians. Instead of saying, oh, but I could lead them to Christ, you could stand in awe of God and you take the word and you apply it to your life and it says what? It says says, don't be a fool standing off God. Basically, God's saying, don't be an idiot. If they're, a, if they're not a Christian, they're going to lead you astray. They're going to cause you to stumble. Maybe not because they're evil and are wanting to pull you away from Christ, but because they're taking your focus off of me. Then you stand in awe of God and you go, man, yeah, she gives me puppy love. Man, she tickles my fancy. But I stand in awe of a living God who's worth so much more. Because this one won't bring heartache. This one won't abandon me. This one won't cheat on me. This one won't go start dating someone else two weeks from now. This one will not... Will not take my deepest, darkest secrets and go and tell my best friend. This one won't turn on me. This one will dig deep. This one will last forever. I choose to stand in awe of him rather than awe of her. This one in 40 or 50 years is not going to start sagging, not going to turn gray or wrinkled. This one, by the time they're 36, won't be hanging over the belt. This one doesn't have to do P90X to look fit. You catch my drift. Students, I, I, I don't know how else to say it. But the reality of it is, for a good, as good of a youth group as you have, and you guys don't realize how good you have it, but for as good of a youth group as you have, you're nothing without this. You're nothing. You're two, three, four, five years away from graduating from a great youth group into nothing. And you can hunt for a good church out there, and God bless you if you find a good church. But the reality of it is, and this is why our college students struggle so much in finding a good church, is because after you graduate from high school, your role in the church changes. Your role is not a, is not a role where you go to get fed. Your role in the church after you graduate from high school is one where you are feeding. And as you are feeding, so you are fed. So our high schoolers, man, they struggle when they graduate and go to college because they can't find a church they like because they're looking for a church that is everything they're looking for instead of looking for a church that has everything or that needs everything that they have to offer. 
and they struggle because even when they find a church where they have something to offer, they step into it, but, but they don't know how to feed themselves. They don't know how to seek God for themselves because you are so used to having me or Kyle or Mike or Michael or Scott or Annette or Ellen or Rebecca or Dana or Susan or Laura or, or the Ribbles or the Crafts that are here week after week to pour into you on Wednesday nights, Sunday nights. You're, you're so used to having yim tours and you're so used to having camps and retreats that when you graduate from here, suddenly it's like, where's God? How come I can't find God? Because you've never really learned to dig and seek him for yourself. And the truth of the matter is his life-changing, altering power is sitting on the shelf. You might ask God for the Holy Spirit. You might ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit to lead you. And I guarantee you what God's reply would be is, why do you need more and more and more and more and more and more and more miraculous signs and wonders when I've got life-changing, altering word, a foundation that is applicable for every life situation, it says, that's sitting on your shelf and you won't even pull it down and read it for more than five, ten minutes a day. What else do you need? Those aren't my words, by the way. Jesus said that. Jesus said, I'm done performing miracles. If what I have done is not enough, then your, your life won't change anyways. That's Jeffy's paraphrased version, but essentially that's what Jesus said before we left. The Spirit comes to bear witness of Christ. And Christ is alive inside of us in his Holy Spirit. And Christ guides us through his word. And the Spirit never does anything that contradicts the Word of God. We need to live, eat, and breathe this. We need to stand in awe of who this is. Next Sunday when Richard reads the Word of God, some of you should stand up and say, Thanks be to God! Woo! God just spoke to us. I would love it. Too bad Cade isn't here because Cade would do it. Or Matt. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah. Some of you, you all should do it. Next time Richard gets up and preaches, you should all stand up and shout it. Thanks be to God that God, the living God, has spoken to us through his word today. Give the people a heart attack. It'd be good. Maybe it'd wake them up in their pew, you know. But don't you dare do it. Don't you dare do it unless you really believe it. And believe it is not saying that you believe it. Believing it is demonstrated in action. Get in the Word this week. Get in the Word this week. So that when Richard stands up next week and he reads out of the word, you can truthfully and worshipfully stand up and say, thanks be to God, his word is alive and active and speaking to my life because this week it, it, is, it, is, it has impacted my life. Make sense? Does it make sense? Because you don't want to be a distraction in worship. You want it to be your truth. We need to wake up to this book, people.
People give their lives for this. People give their lives for these pages. I told you about Saeed Musa, and I'm ending up. I told you about Saeed Musa in Afghanistan. There was another man that was arrested at the same time he is. Nobody's heard about him. He hasn't been on Facebook. He didn't get a letter smuggled out. The reason he was arrested was because he gave a friend a New Testament. He's in for capital punishment. He's in facing death, just like Saeed Musa was, for giving a friend a New Testament. This means something to that man. This man is facing the gallows because this was impactful enough in his life that knowing the law, he broke it, giving it to another. How dare we come here week after week after week and daydream and ignore the life-altering Word of God as He speaks to us in our midst week after week after week. Don't be a fool. Stand in awe of your God. Lord, I pray that you would truly begin to to radically shake us up, that, that that we would be changed, that we would be a different kind of church, that we would be a church that is filled with people that truly and passionately hunger after you. Lord, may we not be a people that is asking for you to demonstrate and show yourself in ways when we are too complacent to even go and learn about the ways you've showed yourself to us before. Lord, teach us not to be lazy, complacent people, but to hunger for your word and to live your word and to, and, and to, and to cherish your word in our lives, to understand the power of your word, that it might transform, that it would penetrate to the depths of who we are and change us. In Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen.